Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're glad you've joined us this morning. If your kids are, children are dismissing downstairs uh, for preschool or children's church, they can go out the back with Miss Melody. If your children are staying, there's activities on the back table that they are free to grab and take back to uh, their seat and use throughout the service. Um, and so today we are wrapping up. We're in Genesis starting in chapter 42. We are wrapping up our four-week look at the life of Joseph. Uh, and today is a fun day because we get to wrap up the story of Joseph and we get to see it culminate in a pretty uh, amazing way. And in that, we get to see Joseph do the incredibly difficult task of forgiving those who are completely undeserving. Uh, maybe it hasn't happened to you, but I would guess for most of you, there's been a time where you have been uh, betrayed or wronged or abused or lied about or hurt in some other way. And for you, maybe you are haunted by that. And maybe uh, today is the day you begin that journey or process of forgiving uh, as we see Joseph forgive and as we are forgiven as followers of Jesus. So we're going to be at the tail end of chapter 41 of Genesis, and we're going to work all the way through chapter 50. Um, fortunately for you, we are not going to read all of that, but uh, I would encourage you to do that this week at home. We're going to hit the highlights and, and um, just see this amazing story that, that uh, just is incredible. It has more uh, drama than anything you would see on a Hollywood film. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, begin our journey. Dear Lord, we thank you for the, the opportunity to gather and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the chance to study your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the example and model we have in the life of Joseph of what it looks like to follow you when life is hard and when life is good and when you call us to do difficult tasks like forgive others. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to us through the life of Joseph, Lord, and that you would um, call us to deeper faith in you this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the story of Joseph, I said, it's a great story because we see him in lows that are difficult to comprehend. Then we see him experience highs that we certainly cannot comprehend. And then uh, through it all, he remains faithful to God. At the beginning of the story, uh, we saw Joseph, a favored son, but it went downhill quickly there for young Joseph. He is sold into slavery by his own brothers. He is accused of a crime he did not commit. And then he finds himself thrown into a dungeon. And the amazing thing about Joseph's story is this one statement that we see again and again and again. We see it in Genesis 39.2 when he is first sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. And we see it again in Genesis 39.23 when he is thrown into the dungeon. And although his life is a mess in terms of this world, the Bible says this statement again and again. It says the Lord was with Joseph. I mean, his life is falling apart in ways we can't imagine. And it says the Lord was still with Joseph. And we talked about how even in the midst of chaos, confusion, trials, and difficulties, if we are followers of Jesus, we enjoy this same promise that the Lord is with us. When we see over and over again that Joseph is so confident that God is with him, that he is able to respond to these situations uh, with faith and trust in God. And we see through that that Potiphar, the warden, and then now the Pharaoh have seen the difference in him. And they have promoted him and put him in charge of everything they own. And so when difficult times come to our life, we said that we must be reminded that God is still with us, and we need to pause and ask ourselves this simple question as we prepare to respond. And that question is, how do we respond in this situation if we are absolutely certain that God is with us and that he is in control? And then last week, through a series of events, we saw Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, the most important person not only in Egypt, but probably in the world at that time, and he is brought before Pharaoh to interpret his dream. And amazingly, Joseph, in the most important meeting of his life, gives God all the credit, responds faithfully to God, and still trusts that God is in control and with him, even when talking to the most powerful man in the world. 
And so Joseph hears Pharaoh's dream, and, and he interprets the dream. The dream means that Egypt is going to experience seven years of incredible harvest, and then seven years of incredible famine. And in midst of the meeting, Joseph, straight from the dungeon, shares with Pharaoh a plan to save the nation and store up the grain. So if you missed last week, it's an incredible story. You can read it in chapter 41, or you can go back and, and watch it on our YouTube page. But Joseph, fresh from the dungeon, shares with Pharaoh a plan to save the nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh promotes him from dungeon to prime minister in one conversation. And so in last week's message, we looked at how do we trust God in the big moments in life? How do we survive the test of prosperity, the test of just self-reliance when we have enough? A test that so many fail, a test that our nation is failing, yet a test that we see Joseph flourish in because he never stops trusting that God is with him and in control, even when times are good. He amazingly remains dependent on him, even when he has it all in the eyes of the world. So that's the background, that's the last three messages. And so today we pick up in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 53. It reads, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all of Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So the times of plenty and the times of famine have developed just as God revealed to Joseph through Pharaoh's dream. Joseph has faithfully collected the grain in the storehouses and saved not only the nation of Egypt, but people are coming from all over the area, all over the Middle East, to buy food from Joseph. Then, in chapter 42, we change locations. We're starting in verse 1, and we go back to, to Joseph's homeland in Israel. It says, When Jacob, his father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. And so you can almost kind of feel the music change as we see what is developing and what's about to happen. Right, this story is amazing. If anyone ever tells you the Bible is boring, they are not reading it. And so the brothers, they arrive in Egypt, these same brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. And verse 7 says that Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. Yet he treated them like strangers. So Joseph is now 40 years old at this time. He is dressed in Egypt's finest clothes. He is speaking Egyptian. And he is running the most powerful nation in the world. And as you can imagine, he looks dramatically different than the 17-year-old little brother they sold into slavery. Verse 8 says that although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And that's where we want to pause and introduce our, uh, our, our main point for today. Joseph here is in a situation that he has likely dreamed about. His brothers have come to him. He has all the power over them. He has the opportunity to get the revenge he deserves with just a single word or a command. But how will he respond and how do we respond when we are given a similar opportunity? At some point in our life, we will have the choice and the power to forgive or seek revenge and the justice the world will tell us we deserve. As we said, we've all been wronged in our lives. Maybe for you it's a parent that wasn't there, maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a, a best friend that betrayed you, maybe it's an ex, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a boss, a company, or a friend. 
Regardless, we've all been wronged, and at some point, we will have that opportunity to, to extract revenge. So what do we do when the parent, boss, coworker, or friend comes to you and needs your help, the same one that has wronged you in the past? What do you do when you finally have the opportunity to crush them and give them what they deserve? And so our first point, our question, or, and kind of our main point or question is this. How do we respond when we have the choice to get revenge or offer forgiveness? Or maybe, maybe you are not looking for revenge, but maybe you in your life, you have been wronged in your life, and you have that tendency to pass that wrong onto others. Right? We see that people who are abused tend to abuse. People who are hurt tend to hurt. People who are bullied tend to bully. So how do we handle that situation? How do we forgive so we don't pass that hurt on to others? I, I know in my life I have a tendency to do this. When I grew up in my extended family, I had a, a couple of family members that, that were manipulative. And, and anytime they did something for you or they gave you something or they complimented you, it seemed to come with a price. It gave them power over you. And they at some time down the road would bring it up and they would want something from you. Right? Nothing was ever just a gift or a blessing with these few people. And this says it had a lasting impact on me because I have an incredibly difficult time. I hate accepting gifts. I hate accepting praise because ingrained in me there's this assumption that there's something else going on. There's an ulterior motive and, it, and they want something from me. But in holding on to this attitude, I am passing on that hurt to others in my life. And I'm robbing myself of, of the joy of enjoying the gifts given to me. And, and I can harm relationships with unfair biases in the process. And so we all have those hurts in, in our past. And some of you, it's drastic ways. Others, it's little ways. But what is that hurt we are holding on to? How is it negatively affecting our lives and our relationships? And how do we respond to that hurt? How can we forgive and move on? Preparing for the sermon, I found, found one story that is comical. I think I might have shared it before. But the story goes that in, in Nebraska, a weary truck driver pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop. And it says that the waitress had served him uh, when three tough-looking uh, motorcyclists came in and they started to give him a hard time. It says not only did they verbally abuse him, but one of them grabbed and stole his hamburger from his plate. Another took his french fry and the third one picked up his coffee and just started to drink it. And so how do you respond in that situation when someone is clearly harming you? And so this truck driver, he responded not how we would expect. He didn't get up and yell at them. He didn't get up and fight with them. But instead he just walked out of the door. He walked to the front room. He, he paid his check and then he went out the door. And the waitress followed him and put the money in, you know, in the cash register and just watched out the door as he drove off into the night. And when she returned, one of the bikers said to her, well, that guy is not much of a man, is he? She said, well, I don't know about that. But he sure ain't much of a truck driver either. He just ran over every, market, uh, every motorcycle in the parking lot on his way out. All right. And so that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to respond like that when we are hurt. But so let's learn from Joseph and see what he did and how he responded. It says in verse 14, Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of your number, uh, your number to get your brother, and the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words might be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, his brothers, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are, are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go back and take the grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your, your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. 
This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we're being punished of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why distress has come to us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. From there, he gives them their grain, and he returns all the silver that they have paid, and he puts it back into their bags. The brothers, later in the day, they stop, and they see that the silver is in their bags, and they tremble in fear because now the guy is going to think they stole the grain. And they again say that God is punishing them for their sins for selling their brother into slavery. They return home to Jacob, their dad, and they tell him everything that happened in Egypt. And they tell him that the man, this, this uh, Pharaoh's assistant, wants to see Benjamin as proof that they are not spies. And in order to release their brother, Simeon. And to that, Jacob replies, the father replies, there is no chance I am sending Benjamin back to Egypt. Benjamin is now my only son from my favorite wife since Joseph has died. And if I lose him, I will surely die. There's a lot in that sentence that we unpacked week one uh, about his wives and different kids. But uh, he had a favorite wife. Benjamin and Joseph are the only children from that wife. And he believes that Joseph is dead. And so he's, Benjamin is the daddy's, uh, daddy's baby. And so he doesn't let him go. And so that's the situation. He will not let Benjamin return. He will not. Uh, and Joseph wants him to come because that's his only full brother. And so when this situation is playing out, the, the favoritism is still happening in this household. And he says, I will not send Benjamin back. I, as I kind of studied this this week, I could almost imagine one of the other brothers saying, well, what about Simeon, who is still sitting in prison in Egypt? You could almost like say Jacob say, well, you know, like life happens. We lost Simeon. We'll move on. And Reuben says, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. But Jacob says, you will not, and you will never take my son Benjamin with you. The famine was severe, and so they eventually used up all the grain, and Jacob told his sons to return to Egypt, which, to which they said, we are not going back to that man if we do not have our younger brother, Benjamin. Judah, one of the other brothers, offers his life if they are not able to protect young Benjamin. But he says no. But time passes, the famine gets so bad that Jacob finally relents, and he sends all of his sons, including Benjamin, back to Egypt, along with some of their finest goods, and double the silver to repay the grain for the first visit. And so it says, when Joseph sees Benjamin, he tells his steward to kill an animal and prepare a feast for them and bring them to his house. And so all the brothers come to his house, and, and his brothers are they're obviously filled with fear because they do not want to go to this man's house, for they think he's going to kill him and make him slaves. But the steward tells them, don't fear, and so that's where we pick up. We're in uh, Genesis 43, starting in verse 26, all the brothers are gathering at Joseph's house for a meal. It says, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And so we see that Joseph here is, is overwhelmed and filled with emotion. 
Right? You can only imagine the memories this is bringing up in his life. The, the news that his father is still alive. Seeing his brother once again. As well as seeing some remorse and, and some sacrifice in the lives of those that have harmed him. And so they sit down to dinner and Joseph has them seated there in, his, in their birth order. Which the Bible says they were astonished. And so the drama and the suspense is building. And so he sends them off with their bags overflowing with grain. But he once again returns the silver and he has his servant hide his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. At daybreak, the brothers begin their journey home. And not long after that, Joseph sends his steward after them asking, Why have you repaid good with evil and taken our master's cup? The brothers here, they are confident they have done the right thing. And they say, We have not taken our master's cup. And they say, if any, of you, if any of you are found to have the cup, that person must be killed, and the rest of you will be our slaves. Right? That's one of those times you wish you could have uh, just kept your mouth shut, because we know that the cup is going to be found. And so this dialogue fills up all of Genesis chapter 44. You can go back and read it. But Judah eventually stands before Joseph, and he says, take my life instead of my brother's. He says, my father will die if my, young, my youngest brother, Benjamin, does not return. He says, take me instead. At that, it says Joseph could no longer keep his composure, and he sends his attendants away, and he weeps so loudly that they all hear him. And so we're in Genesis 45, 2. And Joseph said to his brothers, he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. The same one you sold into Egypt. You can imagine, they're like, oh, yes, we remember Joseph. Right? Forty has never looked so good on someone. Right? Can you imagine this scene? The last person they want to move closer to is their brother who they had sold into slavery. They had sold off to die some 20 plus years ago. And now this brother they sold into slavery has the power to have them killed or make them slaves. And he says, why don't you just come on closer to me? And then the incredible happens. This is what Joseph tells them. It says, for two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. Joseph says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, he says, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. What an incredible perspective. You want to pause here and just say to Joseph, you want to remind him, Joseph, it wasn't God that sent you into Egypt. It's not God's fault, but it was these brothers that sold you into slavery. It was them that sent you to Egypt. And yet Joseph is so confident that God was with him and throughout it all. That God was sovereign over his life. That he can stand in front of his brothers who deserve whatever wrath he wants to pour out of them. And he can say to them confidently, God was in control of it all. God was in control. He knew this famine was coming. And so he has sent me ahead because you sold me into slavery. He used that to send me ahead to save you. He used that to send me ahead to save your families. He used all of that to send me ahead to preserve the line from which the Messiah is one day going to come. Verse 9, Joseph says, Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. 
Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And so the whole family moves to Goshen near Joseph, and he provides for their needs, and he takes care of them in the midst of the famine. But in the back of the brother's mind, there is this, this thought that there is no way he could actually forgive us. There is no way he could actually forgive us for what we have done. In the back of their mind, they are worried that what is he going to do to us when our dad dies? And so, so time passes, and in Genesis 49, it becomes time for their father, Jacob, to die. And Jacob gathers all of his sons around, and he blesses them. You can read his blessings in, in Genesis 49. But you can only imagine the, the trepidation that is building in these brothers as they face the prospect of being completely under Joseph's rule. And that there is no more buffer, there is no more safety net, there is no more dad to protect them. Right? They knew that Joseph loved their father. They knew he loved Benjamin because he wasn't there when they sold him to slavery. But could he actually forgive them? So we're in Genesis 50, verse 15, and we see this fear. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? What if he pays us back for all the wrongs that we have done to him? And so if we've learned anything about these brothers over these last four weeks, is they can manipulate a situation for their own good. And so they think to themselves, what should we do about this? And they decide to use their dad, even in his death, for protection. Because after all, they are no longer hundreds of miles away from Joseph, but they are living in the same neighborhood. And they know that he deserves revenge and they deserve his wrath. Verse 16, they go to Joseph and they say, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And so the brothers, they didn't believe that someone could truly forgive them for what they had done. And it says when Joseph received the message, he was overwhelmed and he wept again. Again, you can only imagine the emotion that must have ran through Joseph's mind and all of the wounds that have resurfaced with the death of his father. And then he has this conversation with his brothers. It says the brothers came to him and bowed down to him and said, we are your slaves. And Joseph's response in verse 19 is again incredible. He says to them, don't be afraid. He says, am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, do not be afraid, for I will take care of you and your little ones. And then it says, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The brothers understood they deserved justice. Joseph understood they deserved justice. But because Joseph was able to see God in the situation and understood that God was with him through it all, he was able to forgive them for their trespasses. Right? We all know how difficult it is to forgive. And in reading this story, we can see that it wasn't easy for Joseph either. Right? Again and again, as these wounds came back, he had to leave the room in tears as he was overwhelmed with emotion. These wounds he, he, that he thought he had left in the past, these wounds he thought he had processed, had, had been drudged up. And you can only imagine how difficult and hard it was for him to process this. He was abandoned by his family. He was sold by his own family as a slave, and now they want his help. 
And yet, as we've seen throughout Joseph's story, he does exactly what anyone would do in a situation if they were absolutely confident that God was with them. And that God had been with them throughout it all. And he forgives them. And he looks after them and protects them. And so from this story and, and Joseph's response to his brothers, I think we can take away three practical tools that we can use when we find ourselves in a position of power. And we find ourselves with a choice to forgive or to seek justice. And that's what we're going to walk through just in these last few minutes. Three things that we can do to help us to forgive those who have wronged us. And the first thing that Joseph recognizes and shares with his brothers is that even though times were really difficult and he was treated terribly, through it all, God was still with him and God was still in control. And so Joseph recognized that God was with him and God was still in control in it all. Joseph recognized that although they did something terrible to him, God was still with him and God was able to redeem the situation. We see that in verse 20. He says, you planned evil against me. But God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So he says to them, although your plans were filled with evil intent, although they were hurtful, although they were terrible, God was bigger than them all. And because of that, I recognize that I am not God and I can forgive. And so for us, when evil is done against us, when we are treated unfairly, when we are hurt, if we can pause and recognize that despite it all, God was still with us, and he still has a plan for us in our circumstances as believers. And that gives us the ability to see beyond the act or the incident and to see God in it all, to see his sovereignty and his will. Right? That doesn't necessarily make it easier to forgive, but seeing God in it, seeing him, his presence in it makes it possible to forgive. And I know for many of you, the hurts you have faced are real, and they have been devastating. They have lasting consequences in your life. I'm not trying to diminish that. We see that with Joseph. He was overwhelmed with emotion. His life had been turned upside down. I think we said it was 13 years he was in the dungeon or in Egypt as a slave. Right? It's not easy. When we are hurt, it's not easy to trust God and forgive, but it is possible, and the Bible compels us to. So in difficult hurts, how do we forgive? If we want to forgive someone, it's important that we remember that God is bigger than what was done to us. He is with us through it all. And he, and only he, can redeem it for his good and his glory. And so that's the first thing. We have to see God's presence in it all. And that leads to the second thing that Joseph recognizes. And Joseph recognizes that he is not God and he is not judge. We see that in verse, verse 19. Joseph says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He says, am I the one that is called to judge you? No. And so when we can see that God was with us in the trials and that he is in control in the midst of the hurt, then we can also recognize that God is the only one righteous to judge. We can see that it is not our, judge, our job or our responsibility, and Joseph recognizes that. When we recognize that God is judge, when we recognize that vengeance is his, then it takes that weight and responsibility of judge off our shoulders. The Bible tells us it's not our responsibility to judge, and it's not our responsibility to seek revenge. Because the Bible tells us God is a just judge, and he has that aspect covered. The final thing we must do is recognize what God has done for us in our lives. Joseph does this when he looks back and sees God's provision throughout his life. He sees God in the hard times. He sees God's presence in the promotion. He sees God's provision in his family. And he sees God's presence in the reconciliation. And we can do the same thing in these times, but we have a tremendous advantage over Joseph. Because in our lives, in our rearview mirror is the form of a Roman cross on Calvary. A cross where Jesus shed his blood for our sin. 
When we think about Joseph, we have to remember that his, his life is at the beginning of God's story with his people. Joseph didn't have the scriptures. He was living them. He, he didn't live in the shadows of the cross like, like we do. And so the most powerful tool we have when it comes to forgiving others is to remember how much we have been forgiven. The Bible tells us we will all someday stand before a just God and give account for how we lived our lives. And without Jesus, we are all found condemned for our sins. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done things that go against God, and for that we stand condemned before a just and sinless God. Romans 6.23 says the wage or the cost or the penalty of that sin is death. The Bible says that's what we deserve. That is what justice demands for us. Yet because of Jesus' work on the cross, him willingly dying on the cross on our behalf, one can be forgiven. Jesus has taken the penalty that we deserved and paid the price for us. That is grace. That is getting what we don't deserve. And Paul in Ephesians calls on us to forgive and show that same grace just as Jesus has forgiven us. And so when we are confident in our faith, when we are confident that God is with us as followers of him, when we are confident that he is sovereign, that we are free to forgive generously as Jesus has forgiven us. And so when we are in Joseph's place, we can pause and we can recognize that God is with us through it all. When we are hurt, we can recognize that God has been with us through it all. We can recognize that we are not God and we are not called to judge. And then finally, we can pause and reflect on what God has done for us through Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been forgiven more than you ever deserved. The God of the universe has given you an eternity in heaven with him. We have been given life and life abundant. God has forgiven us completely. And the Bible says he moves our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says because of that, we can forgive as we have been forgiven. And so when we are in the place of power, the place of revenge, we can pause. We can reflect on these things and trust God and his power. And then we can forgive as Joseph forgave. So one final point and then we will, we will be done. But throughout this story, we have seen Joseph faithfully respond in bad times. We've seen him faithfully respond in critical meetings and good times. And now in the midst of an emotional time where he could have gotten his revenge. And in each of these incidents, when he has trusted God, others have seen the difference. and They have been pointed to the one who saves. But I think it's probably more difficult to trust God and forgive than, than any of these other situations. But I also believe there is no more beautiful picture of the gospel than forgiveness. And giving someone who has wronged you something they don't deserve. The gospel, Jesus has given us something we don't deserve. He has given us forgiveness. And we have been blessed with the opportunity to share that forgiveness with others. So as we wrap up, I don't know what life, uh, what, what, what this looks like in your life or what God is putting on your heart today. Maybe for you there is a parent or a friend or a coworker or a sibling. Maybe there's a son or a daughter. There's somebody that has hurt you. There's somebody that's harmed you, somebody that's wronged you, and you've been holding on to that hurt in one way or another. So as we reflect, will you pause and recognize God's presence in your story? Would you pause and recognize that, that he is good? Would you pause and recognize that he is judge? And would you pause and reflect on the forgiveness you have been given? So as we wrap up, and I pray, would you just spend a few moments resting in the forgiveness you have? 
for you. I, I hope that if there is someone that God has brought their, uh, their face to your, to, to your attention and, and he's calling you to forgive. Right? It's not easy, but would you just begin to pray for them and, and pray for the strength to forgive. Would you remember his forgiveness in your life. Maybe you need to, to seek the Bible and, and, and more information on what it looks to forgive. Maybe you need to seek counseling and find a way to take steps to forgive that person. Would you do what you need to do to find a way to forgive? And lastly, maybe you are here and maybe you've never experienced Jesus' forgiveness in your life. Would you today, would you surrender your life and trust his forgiveness? Experience his forgiveness and his grace and his goodness today. Would you say, God, I know I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. I believe that Jesus died in my place on the cross. God, I want to trust you and follow after you. So I'm going to close us in prayer. And as I pray, I, I pray that God would speak to you as well. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are righteous. God, that we thank you that you are just and that you can be trusted with all of the hurts and wrongs we have experienced in our life. And God, I pray that, that, that for those of us here and, and all of us, Lord, that are hurting in some way, God, I pray that in that situation, Lord, that you would help us to see and know that you are present and have been present. God, that you can redeem whatever that wrong is for your good, just as you did with Joseph. So God, I pray that you would help us to trust that and, and give it over to you. God, I also thank you that you are just, that you are good, Lord, and that we can trust vengeance and, and righteousness to you. God, I pray that you would help us to release that burden of feeling like we have, we have to get revenge or we have to get justice we can trust it to you. But most of all, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us just to remember what we have been forgiven for. God, that you would help us to rest in the reality, Lord, that if we have trusted our life to you, Lord, that we are completely forgiven. Our sin has been washed away. Lord, and that through Jesus, we are inheriting a reward and a life that is so much greater than we deserve. God, that we've been forgiven We've been given a life that is so much greater than the wrong we have endured. So, God, I pray that you would just help us today and, and this week, Lord, just to process, Lord, and to begin the process of extending forgiveness to those that have hurt us. God, that you would help us to, to take real steps to offer forgiveness and to move on from the hurts and wrongs in our lives, giving thanks to you. And lastly, Lord, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, they might experience your forgiveness and your grace today. Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, so that you give them courage to, to walk in faith and trust you. That you give them courage to ask their questions or give them the courage to surrender today. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us as we go throughout this week. Speak to us this afternoon. Lord, that you would call us to deeper faith in you. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I've got um, a bunch of announcements for you, and then we'll let you go. Uh, first of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the wood box on the back table, we would appreciate it. Um, that's